This is episode number 50 of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast, and it certainly feels like a milestone we're celebrating, so that's what we're going to do this week. Now, if you've been with me for a while, you already know the answer to this question, what is marketing? But there are two additional questions that I'm going to pose on today's episode that are perhaps even more important. Stick around because this is the episode that many of you out there have been waiting for, the one where we tie a bunch of things together and answer those two additional questions. What are they? Well, altogether, they go something like this. What is marketing? Why is it important? And how can I use it to transform my business? Answers to those and more on this week's big recap episode. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who can see when shown, and those who will never see. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for everyone in the middle. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. Now each week I choose a different topic. We explore that topic, we pick it apart. Hopefully by the end we come across some useful insights and then we always finish up with an assignment. I leave you with a short actionable task, something you can do right away to start implementing some of the concepts and ideas we talk about here on the show because I believe information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Welcome to episode number 50. I launched this podcast last April, really as an extension of the work I do with my clients. So back in 2016, I founded my own marketing agency here in New York City. It's called Chip Close Creative, and it was a way of helping small to mid-sized restaurants get organized. After 20 years in the restaurant industry, uh, I've picked up a few things. Uh, I've worked at a ton of different restaurants. I've opened nearly a dozen, uh, helping to put systems in place to sustain their long-term health. I've learned a ton about marketing and storytelling as well, and only in the past five or 10 years have I come to realize just how crucial those things are to the long-term success of a restaurant. So those three questions again, the ones I mentioned at the top of the show. What is marketing? Why is it important? How can I use it to transform my business? In the very first episode of this show, I invited us to define marketing. I figured before we got into the weeds talking about SEO or content strategy or menu design or email marketing, before we tackled any of the tactics or tools we use to capture new business and build repeat business, we first needed to understand what marketing is. And so we did just that. Stop me if you've heard this before. Marketing is defined by just three questions. What's the product, who's it for, and how can we reach them? I put that on repeat because it's that important, but it can be a tricky thing to do. Just like a few weeks ago when we were crafting our uh, our three elevator pitches, right? You'll remember back. The short one was the hardest, and that's because there's no room for ambiguity. In one sentence, you have to give people all of the crucial information about your place. And the same is true when you try to answer those three questions. So to help you with that, uh, I shared my five pillars of marketing. Uh, To remind you, they are identity, audience, competition, differentiation, and opportunities. So let's go through them. The first pillar, identity. 
We have to identify our product. We have to understand what we're selling, what experience we're crafting. If you go way back to the beginning of this podcast, you'll remember we spent the first episode defining marketing and then the next five episodes, right? Number two through number six, dealing with each of these five pillars. If you skip those episodes, I would urge you to go back at some point and give them your attention. Uh, There's also a freebie that goes along with those episodes. It's a workbook. Literally hundreds of you have used it already and the link is in the show notes. You'll find it. Go grab that download and do the exercises for yourself. So this first part then is about figuring out what your product is. Literally, what are you serving? What kind of food? What cuisine? How much does it cost? Where are you? Literally, are you in a shopping center? Are you off the highway? On a side street? Look at your music, lighting, menu, staffing. What does all of that say about you? That's how you figure out your identity. There are all different kinds of restaurants in the world and they each deliver something different. The fancy French restaurant in town delivers one sort of product and the burger joint is offering another. Neither is better than the other. They're just different. And by that, I mean, sure, the French place might use better ingredients, might offer better service, probably has a more appealing dining room, but it's also much more expensive and it takes more time. So if you just left your kid's little league game and are looking for a quick bite on your way home, that's probably not going to be the fancy French restaurant that charges $160 per person. What you need, the product you're looking for in that moment is something cheaper, more casual, quicker. In that moment, the burger joint is the answer to all of your prayers, which gets to the next piece of the puzzle, the who. The second pillar we talked about was audience. By better understanding what sort of product you're offering, you can then start to pinpoint a target audience. On past episodes, you've heard me say, identify a need and then solve that need. Whose problem are you solving? You may remember on one of the early episodes, I told the story of this client uh, I was going to take on last year, a Greek steakhouse right here in Manhattan, which sounds a bit like an oxymoron, but that was why I love the concept so much. I'd never heard of a Greek steakhouse before, and I'll bet most of you are thinking the same thing. Great, I told them. This is a great place to start. But everything after that sort of fell apart because they fundamentally misunderstood what I was trying to do for them. I said, let's try to identify your audience. Who's this restaurant for? Meaning, what kind of person would love this restaurant? What kind of person would rave about this restaurant and return with friends to this restaurant? And the owner sort of dismissed me at that point and said, well, this restaurant is for everyone. And as I was starting to lose my patience just a bit, I pushed back and said, no, it's not. And he was taken aback and asked, what do you mean, no, it's not? And I simply responded by saying, no, it's not for everyone. It's not, not even close. You may want everyone to come here. You may believe that everyone will enjoy themselves here, but that's not what I was asking. For example, you're a Greek steakhouse. So right off the bat, I would say, you're probably not catering to vegetarians, right? While there may be things you can serve to a vegetarian, you're not set up to wow those people. So let's get rid of all the vegetarians and people who don't particularly like Greek food. Because instead of a Bernays sauce for the steaks or a Bordelais sauce, You've created a signature yogurt-based sauce, and it may be a delicious compliment to the steaks, but it is unabashedly Greek. So if there's someone who doesn't like those flavors, they're probably not going to be happy here. Going a bit further, it's an expensive restaurant. Your steaks are priced at 30, 40, 50, even $60 per steak. Appetizers are 20 bucks. A cocktail is $18. There are 8 million people here in New York City, and a huge percentage of them can't afford a meal like this, right? To which he sheepishly had to admit that yes, I was right. 
And so when you say this restaurant is for everyone and I say, no, it's not, it's because it's not for everyone. It's expensive, so you need to have money to dine here. It's dark with loud music. It's probably not then for elderly diners. When you start looking at the details of the restaurant, your audience will come into focus. And this is something marketers call an ICA, your ideal customer avatar. You look at the kind of experience you're offering, and you start by identifying who this product is not for. That will help you get clear on who your product is for. So this restaurant is for young professionals, probably 20s and early 30s. They've got decent jobs and they like to go out. They've got a little disposable income and they live for finding that next hip spot. The restaurant is sceny, almost a club atmosphere with dim lights and loud music. And that's what I mean when I say your restaurant is not for everyone. Specificity is key. It's not enough anymore to just have a great restaurant with great food. We already have plenty of those. Instead, you need to get laser focused on exactly who you want to serve, exactly what problem you're solving. To go back to the example I used earlier, are you going to open that fancy French restaurant that caters to couples celebrating birthdays and anniversaries? Or are you going to open the burger joint right by the park to cater to families looking for a quick bite after the Little League games? Let's assume that they're both great at what they do. I think we can agree, however, that what they do is very different. They are not competing against each other because they're not serving the same audience, meaning this. Most people looking to celebrate a romantic meal aren't going to consider the burger joint for their big meal out, just like the family leaving the ball field isn't going to consider getting a table at the fancy French restaurant. Now, that couple with the family who went to the burger joint on Thursday night with the kids may be a perfect audience for the French place for Saturday night, but the context is then very different. The burger joint is solving one sort of problem, a quick bite with the kids, while the French place is solving another, a romantic meal to celebrate a special occasion. So the first two pillars are crucial. You have to understand what your product is, the identity, and then you have to figure out who you're serving, who is your audience, and what problem are you solving for them. That then leads us to the third pillar, which is competition. And this is all about identifying who your competitors are. By that, I mean, who else is serving your audience? So you're not competing against all other restaurants, just the ones in your category. So then before we do anything else, we got to figure out a category for your restaurant, or perhaps more appropriately, a couple of them. Because your restaurant probably falls into a few different categories, and let me explain. You run a brick oven pizza place in Park Slope, Brooklyn. You're competing first with all of the pizza places in Brooklyn and perhaps all of the great brick oven pizzas in New York City. But then you're also competing with the various casual restaurants in the Park Slope neighborhood. So right there, we've identified three different categories, three groups of competitors, and we could keep going and find a few more as well, like competing for lunch business and dinner business and late night business and so on. A category helps define you and more importantly, helps you identify your competition. By doing this, you will be able to better understand your market and how you fit in. Or put another way, you'll better understand your market so you can find ways to stand out. The fourth pillar then is differentiation. Because once you know who you're competing against, you have to start separating yourself. And not by being better. Though you certainly want to offer a great product, being better is a trap and we're actually going to get to that in a few episodes from now it's a trap because it's largely subjective and it's almost always unattainable it becomes both a race to the bottom and a race to the top at the same time but again more on that to come instead of better i want you to think in terms of different 
the question I always ask my clients is this, what are the stories only you can tell? So for the brick oven pizza place, maybe they're the only authentic brick oven pizza in Park Slope. Uh, They're the only pizza in the neighborhood that doesn't sell by the slice, full pies only. Maybe they don't do delivery. They feel their pizzas don't travel well, and so they only offer the product in-house, which would be unique since most people get takeout to enjoy a pizza dinner. Uh, They offer the most toppings, including all kinds of unusual offerings like barbecue chicken and banana peppers. You want to figure out what sets you apart. You're going to use these answers here to market your restaurant. This is one of the most important pieces to the entire exercise. What are the stories only you can tell? That's actually part of the workbook, figuring out the ways in which you stand out from the crowd. And even if you own just a little bagel shop, you should be able to do this. So I'll remind you, on last week's episode, I interviewed Bob and Kate Carpenter, who run this cute little cafe in Escondido, California, called Sunnyside Kitchen. And we could do it for them. Seriously, let's think about it. What are 10 stories that only they can tell? Well, number one, um, it's run by Bob and Kate Carpenter, a husband and wife team who opened this place as a, as a passion project after losing their jobs in the recession. Um, the second one, right? Both of them spent uh, decades working in journalism before switching tracks entirely to a career in hospitality. Their interview skills and natural curiosity are the things that endeared them to their customers. That's number two. Uh, the third one, um, oh, the business started by selling cookies at farmer's markets and then steadily grew over a course of uh, three years. Um, Number four, uh, they started making paninis to sell at some of the local craft breweries. Um, That's when they realized how delicious they were and how much easier they were to execute than um, than other types of sandwiches. Uh, Number five, right when they opened their brick-and-mortar location, they put those panini sandwiches front and center as the star of the show. Um, uh, Number six, uh, they're a breakfast and lunch place, uh, but they don't serve any of the things you'd expect, right? So they talked about how they uh, they have no eggs to order. Um, Instead, they're baked in little muffin tins for ease and consistency. Um, They don't do pancakes. They don't do waffles. Uh, Their oatmeal is coarse and hearty. Their avocado toast is served with the avocado on the side. Their menu and how it's executed is an interesting story. So certainly, that's one thing that only they can tell. Um, Number seven, right? They said that they were number 45 on Yelp's top 100 in America with more than 600 five-star reviews. That's huge. I don't think there are a lot of places out there that could claim that. Um, uh, What are we? uh, Number eight, uh, uh, they serve no dinner, right? They're just breakfast and lunch. That's unique. Uh, Number nine, um, they're... Uh, they're closed on Sundays. I think that's interesting, right? So that's a story. Surprisingly enough, they're, they're a breakfast place that's closed on Sundays, so they don't do Sunday brunch. Uh, and then uh, number 10, I guess the last one uh, would be back to Bob and Kate, right? The two of them work 12 hours a day, six days a week, every single week of the year. There's almost never a day without Bob and Kate behind the counter. Um, and, and that's and that's really key to their success. Um, and that's really key to the story they're telling. Now, the fifth and final pillar is something I call opportunities, which can be a bit confusing, but think of it this way. Every little decision is an opportunity to communicate something to your audience. The pricing says something about you, the the kind of menu you hand people, the lighting, music, decor, the type of service you provide, and you're free to do whatever you want, but be deliberate about it. Recognize that everything you do communicates something to a potential customer. It's telling them one of two things, either yes, this place is for you, or no, this place is not for you. And just like with the Greek steakhouse, right? The clubby atmosphere pushes some people away, but it will also attract others. That's exactly what we want. You can't be all things to all people, so don't try to be. 
Instead, be very specific with what your product is, then figure out exactly who it's for. Identify who else is serving that same audience and then find ways to differentiate yourself from them. Then everything you do, every dish on your menu, every song on your playlist, every person you hire, every picture you hang on the wall, everything becomes an opportunity, an opportunity to attract the kind of people who need what you have, who will love what you're offering. So before you do anything else to market your business, you have to get clear on all of that. It is that important. If you don't have answers to those questions, all of your marketing efforts will be wasted because they will lack clarity. Your offers will be vague and you will end up attracting no one or worse, attracting people who aren't your audience. And what happens when an elderly couple sits down for dinner at the clubby Greek steakhouse with dim lighting and thumping music? They're never coming back and they're not saying good things about you after they leave. You want to fill your seats with people who want exactly what you have, people who will evangelize for you to their friends, family, and colleagues, people who will return time and time again. From there, once we know the product we're offering and who that product is for, then we start putting together our marketing plan. How do we do that? I'll tell you in just a second, but first, I want to say a few words about the two summer workshops I'm launching this June. So the first is called Email Strategy for Restaurants, and it's all about how to start building a list, how to grow that list, and then how to use that list to build a passionate fan base to drive more revenue. Email marketing is the single most effective tool a restaurant can use, and it's crazy to me just how few restaurants use it or use it properly. This is a three-hour workshop pieced out over the course of 15 short video lessons. I walk you through everything so that by the end, you'll feel confident about how to start an email list and how to integrate email marketing into your business. The other workshop is called Killer Content, which is a deep dive into food photography. I'll be showing you my own personal setup, how to capture great photos in natural light, as well as how to get started with flash photography. I'll share food styling tips and more. This is for all of you out there who told me that you bought a DSLR camera years ago, but just don't feel confident in how to use it. Again, it's another three-hour workshop that you get to complete on your own time. It's all little, um, all little video lessons. Both of these workshops are available now for pre-sale. Regularly, they're going to be priced at $197. They are each 50% off from now until the end of March. There's a link in the show notes, of course, or you can visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Click the blue button in the upper right corner that says book a course. I hope a bunch of you will join me this summer. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com. So then back to our recap. What's the product? Who's it for and how can you reach them? That's what all marketing comes down to. And let me tell you a secret. The first two will never change, the what and the who, but the how, how we reach people will change all the time. You'll build a strategy and put it into practice. Some things will work, others won't. So you'll come up with new tactics and see what sticks. Think about how technology continues to reshape the way we do things, right? So Craigslist launches in 1995, and in a matter of 10 years, it basically replaces the classifieds in all the local newspapers, which made a huge impact because it turns out uh, the papers suddenly lost a huge revenue stream, a revenue stream that they counted on. So they then needed to cut costs, which meant that in many markets, the food critics were let go. And so people needed to look elsewhere to get recommendations on new restaurants. 
So Yelp and TripAdvisor suddenly capture that traffic, and then sites like Eater and the Infatuation rise in popularity, all because some guy named Craig put up a free classified service on the internet. Or what about the Yellow Pages? 30 years ago, if you were a plumber, right, you took out a big ad in the Yellow Pages. That's how people found you. A pipe bursts, they reach for the big phone book, flipping furiously to the P's, and now it's about your Google ranking, right? Nobody picks up the Yellow Pages. It's about Google. How do you get yourself onto that first page? Or how can you run Google ads to help jump over some of those links that may be ahead of you, some of your competitors? And the same is true with restaurants. The dilemma hasn't changed, but the way in which we attract diners continues to evolve. For example, think of how social media has reshaped our industry just in the past five or 10 years. So as long as we can get clear on what the product is and who it's for, we free ourselves up to spend the rest of our time brainstorming and implementing ways to generate revenue. And that's what all marketing boils down to. And of course, there are tactics and strategies for attracting new diners and for building repeat business and for turning repeat customers into regular diners. But the goal is still the same, right? Butts in seats. My goal with this podcast has always been twofold. First and foremost, to simplify otherwise complicated marketing concepts. And secondly, to make them actionable. Each and every week, you'll hear me say the same thing in my intro. Information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. It's not enough for you to nod along in agreement. I want to help you put them into practice. If you're not doing this already, I want to urge you to take notes every week, especially this week. So now you've gone through the the five marketing pillars, right? And you've answered the first two questions of that marketing triangle. What now? Well, you put together a plan a comprehensive strategy that everyone understands. Now, obviously, there's no one way to do this, but the plan has to solve the challenges that you are specifically facing. So don't just do a bounce-back offer because some of your competitors are doing a bounce-back offer. Do it to try to build repeat business. From here on out, you'll see one common thread, and that is organization. You need to be deliberate about what you're doing. Play offense while everyone else is busy playing defense. Give yourself the time to brainstorm and execute a plan that deals with your specific problems. Now, I work with a lot of restaurants and I always break these problems down in this way. By all means, use this as a jumping off point and create others if you need them. But six different areas to consider as you put together your own marketing plan. Number one, how are you attracting new diners? Number two, what specifically are you doing to turn those first-time diners into repeat customers? Number three, how are you building trust with your audience so that you are top of mind, meaning they're deciding where to go out to dinner and you always seem to be in the mix, so that when friends ask them for recommendations, you're on the tip of their tongue, so that when you have something unique to offer, they trust you enough to jump at the chance to join you. Number four, how are you building on your successes to wring every last dollar out of the busy times? Number five, What are you doing to boost downtime business? And number six, what are your core values and how can you instill those into the people who work for you? Because if you do, they will become passionate ambassadors with the customers they're serving. If they are living your brand, your brand will spread and thrive and continue to make you money for years to come. In each of these, you need to get specific. How are you attracting new diners? Specifically, what programs or promotions or systems do you have in place to do that? For example, it should look something like this, right? We update our social media pages daily and use those pages to engage with and attract potential new diners. 
We also have an evergreen ad running in a geographically targeted audience all day, every day, an ad that drives people to a landing page. By signing up on our email list, they get a coupon for two free glasses of champagne anytime they join us this month. We also run a concierge program working with six local hotels to drive business to our restaurant. How do you nurture those relationships with the concierges and how are you tracking the success of that program? Uh, we also have a partnership with the local theater in town and sponsor some of their productions in exchange for prime placement in the playbills and on lobby signage. And finally, we participate in community events like charity dinners and street fairs and on and on and on. You get the idea. You need a plan, specific things you're doing to solve a specific problem, and then you need ways to track the results. All too often, I hear restaurant owners simply say, we need more covers. I'll ask them to be more specific and often they can't be. So what I'm fishing for are the specifics. The truth is, they're probably packed on Friday and Saturday night, or at least full, so there isn't much room to grow on those nights. Likewise, Sunday brunch probably sort of takes care of itself. What they need help with are the midweek dinners or the Monday lunches. Get specific and the solutions will present themselves. When you want to hit the bullseye, you don't just shoot the arrow in the direction of the target. You line up your shot carefully, painstakingly. You hold still so you can land the arrow exactly where you need it to go. So you're going to do that with all of these areas. How can you introduce yourself to potential new diners? There are hundreds of ways to do that. Likewise, how can you build repeat business? How can you build trust to turn those customers into passionate diehard fans? How can you build downtime business? And on and on and on. Your marketing plan needs areas of focus. And then each area needs specific things you're trying. So in the winters, our slowest nights are Mondays and Tuesdays. So to boost downtime business this season, we're going to do the following things. Number one, we're going to try to run a winemaker dinner series every Monday in March. Number two, we're going to start serving a steak special, uh, a ribeye for two, every Tuesday night. Number three, we're going to offer half-price champagne on any label over $200 all season long. Number four, we're going to wave corkage on a specific night of the week. Number five, whatever, you get the point. Again, the sky is the limit, but you identify your areas. I already gave you six. And then you brainstorm specific ideas for solving specific problems. That is a marketing plan. Once you've done that, once you've got your plan, you've got to put together a marketing calendar. And I'll remind you that we talked about this back on episode number 42, all about how to build your own marketing calendar for 2020. I also shared a freebie in that episode, my own personal marketing calendar template, the one I use in my own business when I work with all of my clients. If you haven't gotten it yet, go grab the download. Visit chipclose.com slash calendar freebie. I've also, of course, included the link in the show notes if you need it, go grab it. This calendar, and remember, I said this was going to be all about getting organized. This marketing calendar is going to be the key to your success. The data shows that restaurants can improve their profitability by 20% just by using a calendar like this. You'll be anticipating the year ahead, again, playing offense instead of defense. So on episode number 42, I laid out the best way to work with a marketing calendar, and there were five steps for that. Take stock, identify your wins, admit your losses, sketch a plan, and then build out the calendar. So you start by looking at the past year or two and take stock. You're going to look at the hard data, right? P&L statements, PMIX reports, email open rates, web traffic, staffing, and more. All of it. Grade your own performance as well as the people who work for you. Then you're going to write down your wins and you're going to write down your losses. The wins are the things you want to build upon. 
the menu items that sold well, the great new hires, the, the big holidays, whatever. And of course, the losses are where you fell flat, where you've got room for improvement. Armed with all of that, you start sketching out a plan, more of this next year, less of this, would love to find a way to do X, Y, Z. You come up with a whole list of things that you want to do. And then you start building out a calendar. And I always recommend starting with the holidays. Drop them all into the calendar along with any other important dates that go along with that. For example, Valentine's Day is February 14th, right? We just passed it. It's fresh in everybody's mind. Most places start taking reservations a month in advance so you know you'll need to be ready by January 14th. So work backwards. You'll need menu and pricing by January 1st so you can start building all of your marketing materials by January 7th. And that'll give you a week to get photos and graphics and update the website in time for your January 14th launch when the reservation book opens. You're going to do this then for every single holiday throughout the year, and then you'll start identifying downtimes as well. These are perhaps times you'll want to run some sort of promotion, some way to get people in the front door. So like I said, maybe Mondays in winter are slow, so build some programming to combat that slow period. You're going to track all of your efforts throughout the year. For this promotion in July, let's say, we're going to write a blog post and create postcards for the restaurant and run a campaign on Instagram and do a Facebook ad uh, from this date to this date and then make sure our servers are mentioning it at every table from this date to this date. Again, it'll take time to build out the calendar for the first time, but it will be the single most important thing you do all year. Getting organized is a crucial first step toward a more deliberate business, a more profitable business. I hope you all trust me at this point, but nothing else I say on this show will matter if you don't do everything I just said. Figure out your identity, your audience, your competition, find ways to separate yourself from the competition, and then communicate all of that as clearly as possible. Build a plan that addresses the most important areas of your business, and then get organized by building out a calendar for the entire year ahead. If you do all of that, you will be better off than most of your competitors. There's a statistic we hear often, and it's easy to become numb to it uh, because it's incredibly sad. Four out of five restaurants fail within the first three years. That's an 80% failure rate, 80%. And most of us just think, yeah, but I'll be the one to survive, which may end up being the case, but it's statistically improbable. If you want to ensure that you are the one that survives, you have to set yourself up for success. And a big part of that is understanding what you're selling and who you're selling it to. Everything else then are just tools for getting the job done. And as we look at these tools, I like to divide them up into two areas, internal marketing and external marketing. External is what often comes to mind when we think about marketing. So SEO and e-blast and Facebook ads and web design, and certainly those things are important, but the flip side is even more crucial. Internal marketing is everything within your property. So the building, the signage, the lighting, the music, decor, your menu, your staff, all of it. The experience itself has a great deal to do with marketing your restaurant. Create an experience that people want to talk about and your customers will do most of the hard work for you. Create something so memorable that people can't help but talk about it. They can't help but spread the word. So we spent quite a bit of time talking about all of this stuff, right? Episode number 26 was all about how to assess your internal marketing plan. Then number 27, 28, 29 were all about leadership and staffing, how to not only find the right people, but how to attract them, how to nurture those people and inspire them to be the very best they can be. 
Episode number 34 was titled Kill Him With Kindness. And in many ways, it was in response to an experience that I had this fall. But really, I just don't understand why restaurants continue to breed this toxic environment, especially when we're in the hospitality industry. It's just not necessary. We use that then to talk about what your staff is looking for in a job and to go one further, what your patrons are looking for in a restaurant. The very best way to sell people on future visits is to make sure this visit is absolutely spectacular. So good, they can't help but return. So good, they can't help but talk about it, text about it, post about it. There's an old saying that goes, marketing of the thing can't make up for the thing. If you've got a boring product, you can't lie to people and tell them it's something it's not. So don't make a boring product. Make something remarkable. Go outside the box and create something that doesn't exist. Something that will get people talking. That's how things spread. From person to person, a little bit at a time, when something is worth discussing, people will discuss it. The flip side then becomes that much easier. If you've created a remarkable product, your external marketing efforts become just a matter of telling people about that remarkable product. Think about the best products of the past 20 years. The iPhone, Uber, Airbnb, Instagram, Venmo. As we talked about in the elevator pitch episode, right, number 47, People want a reason to say yes, so give it to them. People are bombarded these days with ads and pitches, and while they may not ever say this out loud, all they're thinking is, why should I care about this? The answer to that question should go front and center in all of your marketing materials. This, this is why you should care. Why should I care about the iPhone? Because Apple created a stylish computer that's small enough to fit in your pocket. Why should I care about Uber? because it's the most convenient taxi service in history. Why should I care about Venmo? Because it's never been easier to send and receive money to people. The black tap milkshakes get oohs and ahs as they go through the dining room, and they're dramatic enough that everyone takes pictures and then posts those pictures. And then all those pictures get new people to come in and try for themselves. And then they take their own pictures and then post their pictures, which in turn attracts all new customers. And the cycle repeats itself over and over again. Black tap created a remarkable product, and the rest sort of took care of itself. So you create something incredible and then find the people who want that something. Your external marketing is everything you do to reach out to people. There are tons of things that fall under this, but the most important one is your website, followed closely by your email communications, and then I think your social media presence. So your website is your online home. It should be an extension of the restaurant. This is where people come to learn about what you do and close the deal. Your menu should be posted here along with your hours and location and probably a link for people to make reservations. You'll want to show off pictures and provide easy ways for people to get in touch. Uh, you'll want some sort of blog page, a part of your site that is constantly being updated. This will help with SEO, how you, how you rank with search engines like Google, and it will give you something to talk about. This, of course, leads us right into email marketing, also known as permission marketing. And I believe in this so much, as I said a little while, while ago, I'm launching an online workshop this summer to teach you all about how to integrate e-blasts into your overall marketing plan, right? In 1999, marketing guru Seth Godin coined the term permission marketing in a book by the same name, and he defined it as the privilege, not the right, of delivering anticipated, personal, and relevant messages to people who actually want to get them. So someone signs up for your email list because they like what you do and they want to keep up to date with what you've got going on. In just 20 years, email marketing went from novel to hated, now to necessary. In fact, now it's the preferred method of communication for much of the world. And so why would you as a restaurant owner not use that to your advantage? Not to take advantage, but 
to serve, to serve an audience who wants what you've got. Maybe you think you're too busy. You're not. It takes 10 minutes to set up an account on MailChimp and send your first email. It takes another 10 minutes to dress up that email and make it look sharp. Another 10 to import your list of emails into MailChimp. And in 30 minutes, you've reached out to hundreds or perhaps thousands of people who know and love your product. If you think you don't have time, if you think it's too complicated, if you think it won't help your business, if you think it's not worth the effort, I'm telling you, you're wrong. I've come to understand the power of cultivating an engaged email list, and I've seen firsthand how it can drive real revenue for a restaurant. The workshop this summer is the best way to get started. Again, you can find the link in the show notes to learn more. Finally then, I think restaurants these days need a strong social media presence. Note, I'm not saying slick and splashy. I'm saying strong. It needs to show off what it is you do well. It should help attract diners to the restaurant by showcasing the food, the space, the drinks, the people. It is the most effective, most efficient way to show off what it is you do. So use it. Use it as a lookbook, as a, as a way to engage with your fans. But it only works if you stay consistent and maintain that strong presence. Your internal and external marketing efforts must support each other. They don't work on their own. For example, let's say you've got a great restaurant and are looking to boost downtime business on Sunday nights during the summer. You decide you want to put together a farmer's market tasting menu, all vegetarian. It'll be light and healthy and perhaps a bit cheaper than your regular menu. You work with a chef to develop the menu and it's gorgeous. You do all the work to get it ready and you launch it. But if you don't have an email list, how will you let people know about it? If you haven't established a social media presence, how can you promote the dinners? If you don't have a website that gets updated regularly, how will people find the details of the menu or book a table? Likewise, the other side is true. You can have the most beautiful website, a list of 50,000 email addresses and social pages with new posts going up each and every day. But if you don't have something remarkable to talk about, people are gonna quickly lose interest. Marketing requires clarity, it requires organization, it requires action, and it requires that you be remarkable. I want restaurant owners to start playing offense instead of defense. Craft the restaurant that your audience so desperately wants. Fill a need. If there's any through line so far on this podcast, it's this. Good doesn't cut it anymore. You've got to be remarkable. The market is way too saturated and you can't survive uh, by being busy just two nights a week. Create a restaurant that solves problems for your audience. Be bold, be interesting, and most of all, continue to serve your customers. As Zig Ziglar famously said, you can have everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. There are things certainly that I want in life, but I know it all begins and ends with helping you guys get what you want out of life. I know you want a more profitable restaurant. I want that for you. I know many of you are still working too many hours in your business that you feel like you don't have enough energy to work on your business. I want to help you balance things out. Each and every week, I sit down to think about what I want to say, and I sketch out the ways in which I want to communicate that to you. I take the time to record and edit these episodes, and I spend countless hours answering calls and emails because I love what I do, because I love this community. Now, I want to finish up with something we spoke about way back in episode number 11 when we talked all about Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. My why may be very clear now, but it wasn't always. And yours may be fuzzy, but I hope you'll consider this as you set about the task of overhauling your business. Simon Sinek talks about the golden circle, right? So think of three concentric circles, one inside the other. On the outside, we have the what, 
one ring in is the how, and then in the center we have the why. And most companies, he says, take an outside-in approach, meaning they can tell you what they do. And then as they work their way in, they get to the how, they can tell you how they do it, how they're different. But rarely do they ever get to the center. Rarely do they figure out their why, meaning why do they do what they do? In that book, he challenges the reader to flip it around and start with why. And just about a year ago, I started this podcast as a way of broadening my reach to help more people, right? Um, I'm a storyteller, and I know I have a knack for distilling down complex ideas and simplifying them and making them actionable. I've worked with dozens of restaurants, many I've helped, and a handful that did not want my help. And those that failed did so because they weren't willing to take the steps that I lay out here each and every week on this podcast. These exercises work. I know they work, and I know they can help you, but I can't do it for you. Only you can decide if you want to take these next steps. So if you're just joining us, I'd urge you to start back at the beginning and go through all of the previous episodes. They're a series of lessons, really, meant to stack one on top of the other, all trying to bring you more clarity about your business, your audience, and your market. Again, marketing comes down to just three questions. What's the product? Who's it for? And how can you reach them? Figure out the first two, and then we spend a lifetime figuring out the third. Moving forward, this podcast will mostly be an exploration of that third question, sharing tactics, tools, and yes, strategies to help you reach the audience you're looking to serve. Modern marketing isn't about pushy salesmen and hitting quotas. It's about connecting to people, learning about their problems, and then crafting specific solutions to their problems. It's why I love what I do. But remember, at the very top, I said we were going to answer two more questions. So, what is marketing? It's solving problems. Why is it important? Because helping people is the single most generous thing you can do and remember what Zig Ziglar said. And then how can I use it to transform my business? Because shifting your mindset from selling to serving changes everything. How do we do that? Well, that's what we talk about each and every week on this podcast. This community grows more and more each episode, and I'm grateful to have you all here week after week. You'll find everything we talked about in the show notes, including a link to download the Marketing Pillars workbook, as well as a link to get the marketing calendar template. Please go download each of those. You won't regret it. I'm also including the link to those courses we talked about. Again, I'm offering a pre-sale special, 50% off from now until the end of March. After that, it goes back up to full price, $197. I promise that the first 25 people to enroll in a course will get a free restaurant strategy tote bag, and I still have about 10 left. So go click the link or just visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com to enroll in one of the two workshops. As always, I appreciate you being here. I know there are a lot of great podcasts out there. It means the world to me that you choose to listen to this one. If you want to get in touch, you can do that by emailing me directly, chip at chipclose.com. That's C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. Thanks again, and I will see you all next week.